Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Lopez wants it away. And it's a deep to left center. Andrew Jones on the run. This one has a chance. Home run. Mets fans, welcome back to another edition of Believe in the Mets right here on the Believe Networks. I am your host, Nick Durst, and boy, oh boy, is it tough to believe in the Mets right now. They have the trade deadline, so we're going to talk about that, of course, and then the way the Tuesday night game ended against the Royals where we had a balk off without even a pitch being thrown by the new pitcher because he had a pitch time issue. I mean, Walker came and get the opportunity to walk anybody. The bullpen imploded, but expect a lot more of that because Billy Epler, he said it wasn't going to be a fire sale, but it was a fire sale. Everybody went, everybody's gone, and there's not much left to pick up the scraps and try to compete. So expect a lot of losses moving forward here. What frustrates me is the fact that Billy Epler is a liar, liar, pants on fire. He said, 2024 was not going to be a rebuild. It was going to be more of a reconstruct, retool. That it comes out that Max Scherzer said, Billy Epler told him the Mets were not going to go for in 2024, maybe not even 2025. They're going to go for it in 2026. That's unacceptable. The Mets, they need to win now and win later. No more tanking. No more wait till next year. If we got to wait till 2026, 2027 now as Mets fans, it's going to be long. It's going to be horrible, and we're all going to suffer the consequences here, and we'll see if Billy Epler suffers the consequences of his job at some point. He said maybe they'll be competitive next year, but I'm not buying it. Billy Epler, right now, you, to me, and many Mets fans are a liar. To help me break down the trade deadline and all things Mets moving forward here, I want to welcome in to the show at this time the one and only... Greg Lennard from the Word with G host and ESPN Radio Chattanooga. And it's a great time to have Greg here because we're going to talk about that Verlander trade and one of the top prospects that the Mets got there. He saw our play for Tennessee Volunteers. Greg, welcome to the show. What's going on, Nick? Thanks so much for having me, man. I, I, I love the Believe Network. I have a bunch of their guests on my show, and it's always good when I can be a guest on a Believe show. And I'm happy that uh, you're hosting the Believe in Mets, man. Let's go. It's lot going on. Not a lot of good things, though, per usual when it comes to being a Mets fan. So before we talk some specifics on the Verlander trade here, give me your thoughts here on the Mets and what they did at the trade deadline and your comfort level and confidence level in this regime moving forward here. Well, obviously, the comfort level and the confidence level is is never going to be high when it comes to the Mets. Um, you know, going into this season, I was very skeptical with the building of the rotation. I loved the offense. I loved paying Jeff McNeil. I love Jeff McNeil. He was He's kind of another one of those in the long, I don't want to say long, but the iteration of just pure baseball players and really good just flat-out hitters that the Mets have had that have kind of botched. 
Uh, you know, Jeff McNeil is a better defender than Daniel Murphy, but they're kind of the same in terms of just really good hitters. And then they couldn't figure out how to utilize Justin Turner. So I'm glad that they brought back a guy like Jeff McNeil. They haven't traded him. Uh, the offense to me was never the problem. Now they have, they haven't lived up to their expectations. They haven't played up to expectations. They haven't hit up to expectations. So that's been a problem. And then you look at the pitching staff paying 80 plus million dollars to two dudes that have almost have, or at least do have their baseball AARP cards. That's a problem. Carrasco's a little bit older. Quintana was injured. He's older. Love the ghost fork bowl and Kodai Sanga. But other than that, it just doesn't seem like this was going to work out. And everything it seems like the Mets touch is just some sort of curse because you had Jacob DeGrom. He leaves Tommy John surgery. Then you look at the, the beginning of the season before the game, this season even started, Nick, of Edwin Diaz going down with an injury. So, like, it just feels like as much optimism as we want to have as Mets fans in winning 100-plus games the year before, it's just plain and simple. This team does not make the playoffs in back-to-back -back years. You can basically book it. What have they done it like twice in their in their history? Yeah, I mean, it just it wasn't in the cards this year. And the fact that Billy Epler is coming out and talking about how let's pump the brakes. I don't know if we're gonna you know we're gonna compete next year. That's hogwash. You need to go out there and compete. Uncle Steve's got the money. You've restocked the farm system. If these dudes are as good as you need them to be or expect them to be, you should have some of them up there this coming season or next season. But again, we, we all kind of round it back to the pitching staff is the problem. And the problem here with what we did at the trade deadline, we got a lot of really good looking position players with a lot of potential upside, but what did we get? One pitcher. I mean, that's no pitchers. They got, they got the two pitchers from the Dodgers who they DFA'd. That's right. And, and then they got the guy from uh, in the Canna trade, right? Justin uh, Justin. Right, they got the one guy, Justin Jarvis, in the yeah. Canna trade. But count them, Greg. Not one. Not two. Not three. But four. Four shortstops they got. Don't they have Francisco Lindor locked up to a 10-more-year deal here? And Ronnie Mauricio in the minors? How many shortstops are they going to get? Don't they realize it didn't work with the – Padres offseason who signed three shortstops. They already had three shortstops. They had six shortstops, and they're doing terrible so far. I agree with you. They needed to get a pitcher, but they got a ton of shortstops. So I have to guess here that the plan is going to be ultimately to trade these shortstops for pitching because where is this pitching coming from? And Billy Eckler, like I said in the beginning, he's a liar. He said it's not going to be a rebuild. But it's going to be a rebuild because now he's saying they're not going to pay. They're not going to pay the money to the free agents. So are we going to? Are they going to go into next year with McGill and Peterson, Quintana, and are they going to bring back Car Carrasco, who's been terrible, and Senga, and be competitive? He said they're going to be competitive. That's not a competitive starting spot to me. And you probably agree. Senga is going to be the ace right now, and you need to go and sign three starting pitchers because. The rotation is going to be a major problem moving forward, especially if you said, if Billy Epler says it's going to be a team that can compete next year, but they won't be a favorite. He's sending really bizarre messages. Yeah, he really is. He's, he is sending some, some weird, weird messages at this point. And I think it's really just sort of like, all right, let's temper expectations. Like things were super high going into this season, obviously coming off the 100 plus win season. All right, we're going to compete with the Braves. We almost had, you know, Carlos Correa. So yeah, I think it's just his way to sort of 
keep the expectations low. And a lot of people I've heard over the last day or so, once this article came out, um, I believe it was from Ken Rosenthal of, uh, you know, with Max Scherzer and talking about sort of spilling the beans of what the Mets are doing, which I, I didn't read the article, but I don't understand why he would do something like that. I, I don't understand what he has against the Mets. The Mets just paid him all of this money. They're still going to pay him while he's pitching in Texas. So, like, why the hell does he care about what the Mets are doing? Why is he spewing this information? It was kind of like he went to Ken Rosenthal and was like, yo, Ken. I got some dirt on the Mets. Do you want to you want to get a little exclusive here? Like, well, I don't I don't do you understand. Think, do you think he was telling the truth? Because people are saying he's lying. I think he was telling the truth. I think he was telling the truth as well. I, I do believe that that's what their plan is moving forward with all of these young prospects. Uh, I don't I don't understand why he would lie. I mean, the only thing I didn't really like about the situation was I heard that he had Pete Alonzo's name in there as well as uh, somebody that they might not so, sign. Right. So my thought process is. He got the call from Ken and he said, I'll speak because number one, he was probably a little upset because he signed 18 months ago. He made a three-year commitment. He thought they were going to go in and go and win. I also think he spoke because he's the head of the players union. So maybe he wanted to send some smoke signals out or something to the rest of the players. Like watch out. Maybe the Mets are not exactly what you think they are. You don't want to deal with Billy Epler. And I am disturbed by the fact that Billy Epler is telling him anybody who is not under contract beyond 2024 are open to moving here. I think in the offseason, Billy Epler, if he's still in charge, and I hope he's not, I think David Stern is going to take over. But I think Billy Epler is going to try to sell to Steve Cohen, hey, we're punting on 2024 already. Let's forget about 2025, get to 2026, because Billy Epler wants this job security. He traded Dan Robertson for an 18-year-old, a 19-year-old. He made another trade for a 17-year-old. So he's thinking, oh, we're going to be really good in 2026, 2027. But how does he get there? He needs to sell them on this long-term plan. But I'm scared, like you are, that he's going to explore trading Pete Alonzo. Pete Alonzo needs to be locked up this offseason, give him an eight-year deal, pay the guy. He's going to go down as the greatest Met offensively of all time. I understand he's having a down season batting average-wise, but if you sign him to an eight-year extension, he's ultimately going to be the all-time franchise leader in home runs, 35th, and RBI, and doubles. And he is, to me, the captain of the team. Now Francisco Lindor, I think it's Alonzo. He's homegrown. They need to do whatever it takes to make sure Pete Alonzo is a Met in 2024 and beyond. Pete Alonzo, you, you absolutely do have to lock him up. He is the captain. He's the heart and soul of this New York Mets team. And you're right. Lindor might have that 10-year deal and the big money and all that, and he's supposed to be the star. But dude's hitting like 230 on this season with 20-plus home runs, and, and he hasn't lived up to his contract as well. I know you mentioned Pete Alonzo's batting average is a little bit down, but he's still hitting for power. He's coming on here late. And um, it's they're not they're not losing because of Pete Alonzo. Uh, I know again he hasn't been great this season, uh, but he is the straw that sort of stirs the drink within this lineup. It's not Francisco Lindor, and part of me, I look, I'm, I'm this is revisionist history that I'm playing here right now. Part of me was like, man, I really wish we would have kept Andres Jimenez because I really like him as a player. But at the time, we're looking for that big name, we're looking for the splash, we're looking for Francisco Lindor, and. 
I'm sure he'll be better moving forward and, and talking a little bit more about Max Scherzer in that situation of sort of prefacing to the rest of the league, okay, like what might be coming uh, and, and how I kind of got sold the bill of goods. Well, the Mets were anticipating contending this year. And every you hear it after the game every single day while they were still on the team. It was, well, we just got to play better, right? If we played better, we wouldn't be in this spot. Well, no kidding, Sherlock. You know, if y'all did play better, you wouldn't be in this spot. And, you know, Scherzer wouldn't have had to say what he had to say because they wouldn't have sold him off. They wouldn't have sold Verlander and Robertson and Canna and Pham and all of these guys. You could sell Dominic Leon for all you want. I don't care about him. But, uh, yeah, they wouldn't have sold these guys off if the season was going the way that they wanted it to. And, frankly, it just hasn't gone that way. So it's just it's it's another year that's just down the drain and lost. Well, if I had to blame somebody for the Mets' troubles this season, I need to blame Billy Epler, the guy who put the roster together. They win 101 games last year. Billy Epler goes into the offseason thinking, well, the offense was great, so they'll be great again. Instead of thinking, oh, the offense against the Braves and the Padres no-showed when it mattered most. And how many times did we hear this offseason? Eduardo Escobar. A great September. Andy Martino screaming from the heavens. Eduardo Escobar, he carried team September. He's going to be great next year. And you wasted time with him. Darren Ruff, they're counting on him. They cut ties with him in spring training. Vogelback was back on a $1 million deal. Hasn't worked out. Vientos, he was in the minors. They called him up. They didn't play him. He's not really working out too well around negative. Brett Beatty, he's not hitting. He thought he was going to hit. His defense has been really bad as of late. Francisco Lindor, terrible trade. I think it set the franchise back now looking at it. And he has not hit. He's struggled. He's been really poor this season. McNeil hasn't hit as much either. And a lot of guys haven't hit. Mark hasn't hit. We mentioned Alonzo's down. The average is down, but his power is up. And they signed Omar Narvaez. They didn't want Francisco Alvarez up in the majors. They did all they could to keep him, to keep him away. They had Nito. They brought Gary Sanchez in. But Alvarez proved that he needed to be there. And this is all on Billy Epler. And the big issue that I keep saying on the show is that off this record-setting season hitting-wise, where Jeff McNeil wins the batting title, Lindor promises him a car, and he doesn't. And that kind of hurts the chemistry in the locker room, I think, is that they promote the hitting coach, Eric Chavez, who had such a great year, to bench coach. Now the hitting has struggled. And the bench coach role is supposed to be all about the fundamentals, the mentally preparedness, getting them in the game. And that was great with Glenn Sherlock. And now the Mets are not in the game. They're all over the place. They can't catch pop flies at third base. They're making running errors. And that's because Eric Chavez is the bench coach. Sometimes if it ain't broke, don't fix it. The rotation, they make all these changes. And I was fine with the moves. You know, the Grom, he ends up getting Tommy John. I wanted him back. But getting Verlander was great. Scherzer was still there. But he didn't pitch well this year, so he's to blame as well. Senga's been sensational. He's the ace now. Quintana getting hurt. Huge blow because Peterson and McGill were not good. Diaz getting hurt. Huge blow. I know Robertson was great, but even with Robertson and Diaz, the bullpen was still not that good going on into the season, and it has proved to be so. And Carrasco has been terrible. That's back to their Francisco Lindor trade. So to me, the roster construction was very poor. And I think 
even though he's having a bad season, when they were unable to finish the deal with Carlos Correa, I think that sent a weird message to the locker room, which was like, because they, you know, they were, all, I'm sure everybody was so pumped up, like us, the fans were, when they signed Correa. Then you find out they're not going to sign him. And then they don't even like go to sign a DH. They could have got JG Martinez, could have got Cody Bellinger. You go, same team, let's do it again. That kind of sent a, some sort of weird message to locker room, Greg. How do you feel? How'd you feel about that? Yeah, it was a weird thing. And look, I don't make too much about the Carlos Correa thing because he's not having a great season as it is anyways. Now, him and Lindor are boys, and that might have been kind of a downer for him. And you're right, in that sense, that that maybe could have affected him a little bit. But again, he's a professional. Um, he's been there. He's done that. He knows that this game is a business and, and things like that. So I don't want to kind of give him that out in terms of Correa's The Correa move you know, didn't work out, so that's why he's struggling this year. It's it's just athletics man you know people are going to struggle baseball is a tough sport to consistently be good at it's hitting a round ball with a round bat and in trying to do that consistently it's it's not good so i don't read too much into the correa situation um but you're right that they kind of just punted on the dh spot and thought okay darren ruff daniel vogelback those are going to be our guys and they're going to you know you know, do what we wanted them to do last year, be the right-handed and left-handed DH combination. And it just hasn't worked out. And Vogelback struggled with some mental uh, illness stuff, and he had to kind of step away from the team a little bit. I think he was kind of pressing a little bit too much. And, you know, when he's come back, he's done a little bit better. It's uh, been better than the beginning of the season, but still not what they were anticipating out of him. Tommy Pham, I, I really liked what Tommy Pham brought to the team. And, shoot, if they want to bring him back on a you know cheap option after next year when he's a free agent again, I would be welcome to have him come back. Not having Starling Marte for there for for the most of the majority of the season with migraines and different things that he has going on, uh, that was tough. And and him not having a great season when he was healthy and on the field or healthy and on the field because I don't know how healthy he was while he was actually on the field. But he's a guy who's going to be under contract for a couple of more years now, along with Nimmo and McNeil and Lindor. And you're hoping Pete Alonso if he's back. But then you've got. Uh, Francisco Alvarez, who you talked about, who's young catcher, who's obviously took the world by storm or the Mets by storm a little bit with his offensive uh, prowess. And then you're right. Brett Beatty has been disappointing. I, I was hoping he would be better. He would be kind of that lock it in cornerstone. And I'm not ready to kind of mail it in for with Brett Beatty and say he's not going to be the answer at third base. But now they have a lot more of these athletic guys that can play infield that they just traded for that are nipping on his heels. So he better get his act together. And that might've been part of the reason why they wanted to trade for some of these guys, because even if you can play shortstop, okay, let's move you over to third base. Cause you, we've seen shortstops move to third base many times before. And if Brett Beatty's not going to cut it, okay, well, we've got some guys that are behind you that are going to get opportunities. If you can't get the job done, it might help push Brett Beatty a little bit more, but I wanted to ask you this, Nick, because you talked about, the coaches coaching staff and you talked about all the different changes and if it ain't broke don't fix it who do you blame for that is that buck's fault or does that go above buck's head i think it was billy epler who just did it because he probably heard some rumors that or maybe somebody asked for permission could we interview eric chavez to be our bench coach so they said we'll just promote him so that he's not going to go out outside of the organization because i think epler is trying to groom Eric Chavez to be the manager here. I think that's kind of what he's trying to do. Now, if you remember last year, two weeks before the Mets hired Eric Chavez as the hitting coach, 
he was hired as the assistant hitting coach for the Yankees. So they poached him from elsewhere. So I think they were afraid that he was going to be poached from this organization. What I would have done is just increase his salary, which you probably did anyway to give him a bench coach because I don't know. It just, it just, it just hasn't clicked. Something is different this year. You could tell the chemistry's off. You could tell us things in the clubhouse are different. Maybe people are on Team McNeil versus Team Lindor and get the car or the whole thing. Last year, you always saw this camaraderie of the pitchers, DeGrom when he was there, Scherzer, Bassett, Walker always hanging out. A lot of individuals on this team this year, not too much of a team. So there hasn't been too much chemistry. But listen, Justin Verlander, I thought he was a great addition. He was he missed the beginning of the season, which I think hurt them greatly. But Sunday, you get standing ovation, leaving the field, the city field for the last time as a Met. So it was a brief, short stint. It should be funny in a few years when he's getting inducted into Cooperstown and he thanks the Mets for all their support and whatever. This guy was sold on a vision, him and his wife, Kate Upton. I mean, this is not a typical ballplayer wife. You know, Kate wanted to come to New York because it was good for business for her. I'm sure she's not thrilled about going back to Houston, but... Ver- Verlander, you knew if he was going to waive the no trade, it was going to be for Houston only. And they go back to Houston, no state income tax. He's got this huge deal now. He's going to get all that money, every cent of it. And he would have stayed in Houston if he got this deal originally anyway. To me, I don't care what happens with these prospects here, of the the trade here with Gilbert and Clifford, unless they become Hall of Famers ever, because I think the Justin Verlander trade – made the Astros the favorites to go back-to-back. I'd be stunned if in the next two years the Astros don't win at least one of the two World Series. They're the favorites, in my opinion. But, Greg, you are in Tennessee, so you know a little bit about Drew Gilbert, who was picked last year at the top of the draft. So what are Mets fans in store for here with Drew Gilbert when he makes his MLB debut, hopefully next year, but if not 2024 late season or 2025, which is really what Billy Epler's targeting for the Mets to compete. Shoot. I'd love to see him up there this year. Pull him on up. I got a, I got a yeah. buddy, a, a guy, a kid that I used to coach. And you know, when I was starting as a first starting as a coach in Connecticut, who's pitching in double a for the rumble ponies right now, he's lighting it up in out of the bullpen, bring him up, get him out there because the rest of these jokes in the pitchers. bullpen stink. You're right. Yes. We need pitchers. Give him a shot. Trey McLaughlin, look him up. He's a great kid. Um, but, uh, when it comes to <sighs> Drew Gilbert, uh, and I was really afraid you were going to ask me about the Braves because we cover the Braves here in, uh, in Chattanooga and it's, I want the Braves that had the nerve to try to get Verlander. Billy Apple mm. should have hung up the phone or he should have been like, we'll take Matt Olson, give us Murphy, <laughs> <laughs> give yeah. us Max Fried. Yeah. Something along those lines. We want a King's ransom back. We'll take Ronald Acuna so he can play with his brother. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, Drew Gilbert is fantastic. He's, uh, seems like a good dude. He's a little quirky, a little crazy. He's got a little crazy to him, I think, but that's what makes him electric as a baseball player. And dude gives it 120% every single time he steps out between those white lines on the field. Uh, he cares about the game, loves the game. I never got a chance to interview him, talk to him, but people that I've talked to that, that got a chance to cover the team a little closer than I did. Uh, said he was a great kid, loved the kid, loved the energy, loved the player. And um, he, he doesn't hit for a ton of power. He's a smaller guy in stature, but he's got a big swing. I mean, he like he, he doesn't leave anything on the field when it comes to – or doesn't leave anything in the batter's box when he takes a hack. When he takes a hack, he 
freaking takes a hack. So I like him from that aspect. Again, he's not really a center fielder, more of a corner outfield guy. And uh, hopefully he can turn into somebody that can be in the future plans of the New York Mets who can be patrolling left or right field in City Field for years to come. Uh, just dude's just electric. Like he's a fun guy to watch play the game of baseball. And the biggest Drew Gilbert moment that I can remember or that will always stick in my mind about Drew Gilbert until he comes up and makes new memories for me with the New York Mets, hopefully, is that uh, is a couple of years ago in uh, the regionals, he hit a bomb against uh, it was some smaller school that they shouldn't have been losing to. It was late in the game. I think bottom of the ninth and he hits like a three run home run or a grand slam to give them the win. And it was just, I mean, it was electric, man. He was, uh, he's the number one prospect in the, uh, in the Astros organization for a reason. Now I know their farm system isn't one of the top tier farm systems, but when you get not only Drew Gilbert, but Ryan Clifford, who I know he was ranked as the technically the number four, but I heard some people talking about it and saying that if they were going to re-rank the, the minor league system, they were going to put him as their number two prospect. So you conceivably got the number one and number two prospect from the Houston Astros for Justin Verlander. So say what you want about Billy Epler and you know Steve Cohen and whatnot, but they did a really good job understanding – where they were in this situation. And again, I know a lot of people want to blame Epler and Steve Cohen and things like that. But if these guys had done their jobs and they had performed the way that they were supposed to, this team should have won 100 games again this year. But plain and simple, bottom line, they didn't. And so they realized it and said, okay, let's you know not continue to throw money into this you know endless pit here and hope by some miracle we start to figure it out in the second half. All right, we've got some aging pitchers here. Look, they're not going to be a long, around for a long time. They were around for was supposed to be a good time, and it wasn't as good of a time as we were hoping for. Let's get some things back. Let's rebuild our system. And I like what you said earlier, Nick, about you can utilize these prospects now and parlay them into a potential pitcher. It doesn't have to be a project. It can be somebody who is established in a team, again, finds themselves in the situation like the Mets are, looking for prospects or looking for prospects to kind of reset their system. And they, uh, they look at, they're looking to sort of sell off a pitcher, but the Mets have to identify the right type of pitcher. That's my problem right now. Identifying Scherzer and Verlander at their advanced ages was not the greatest strategy. You need somebody who's a little bit younger, who's got that upside. And again, I know these, I know these guys don't grow on trees. I get it, but you gotta be smart. You gotta be savvy and you gotta pounce when the opportunity is there, now they have the farm system to do it, whether it's to go get a pitcher or to hopefully bring up some of these kids. Cause you know, not all of them are going to end up working out. Well, the pitching is going to be a problem and they trade for a lot of players. Now between Clifford and Gilbert here, you have to hope that they come up at least one of them. And you know, they're like Corbin Carroll is for the dime backs totally changes the culture and becomes tremendous player here. And this is the thing, Greg, you need to look at it this way because eventually I think someone's getting moved because you got Nimmo is locked in. He's going to be there for years to come in the outfield. So, you know, he's getting a spot. Gilbert and Clifford here. That's two more guys in the mix. Then Acuna, they said, maybe he's going to move to the outfield and you have, maybe they said baby might move to left because Mauricio could play third and Mauricio is going to play outfield. So there's four or five guys there for three spots. So you would think some, some one of them is going to move. And with all these moves that they did here for shortstops, 
someone's going to have to either move positions to second. McNeil maybe gets bounced to the outfield. If Acuna plays second or Mauricio takes off at second, they got so many shortstops. First, I got to give some credit to Billy Apple here. The fact that he got Dominic Leone of, of DFA early in the year and he was awful with the Mets and he turns him into a shortstop for a 17 year old shortstop, I believe, or no, he's not the 17 year old shortstop. No, it was shortstop. a, uh, it was Jeremy, a 20... Jeremiah Jackson, the shortstop. They get him from the angels. So that was yeah, good. 23. Yeah. Tommy Pham They traded for a 17 year old shortstop, Jeremy Rodriguez. So again, this is like, I don't love this because like now you're looking at a guy that maybe comes up in 2028. <laughs> So I don't like to look that far ahead. I wanted the Mets to be a win now, win later mentality, not a let's wait six, seven years because we've been waiting for so many years as is. But who knows? Maybe there's something there with him and you could trade him. But there's just a lot of short stops right now coming into this 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 roster. Again, they got four short stops. Eventually, someone's going to be moved for something, I think, here. And I think the guy that, I wouldn't be shocked if they target Greg is Corbin Burns. I think last year, if you remember, he had a nasty arbitration hearing with the Brewers. The Brewers won. So he, he's not going to resign there. I think next year's his last year arbitration eligible. So I think he's going to be on the move either in the offseason or at the trade deadline. And I think the Mets, it would behoove them to pursue somebody of his ilk where you're at least you're not going to pay him next year. Because, again, the Mets said they're not going to spend money big time next year. But if you could flip one of these guys for someone like him, and then you know you have the ability to lock him up, I think that's what you need to look to do. Because, again, we've been saying it all episode, starting pitching is going to be huge here. And I just don't like that Epler didn't get any real high-profile starting pitchers at all. He got one pitcher in the trade for Marcana and – you know, that was good. They got it. They got, they got at least one pitcher there. And Mark Hanna was, you know, a solid career for a Met. You know, he ended up being benched there. But they get Justin Jarvis. I don't think he's going to be much in the major series. He's got an ERA in the high fours. Maybe he becomes a reliever or something. To me, the only pitcher that I think is good in the minors right now is Blade Tidwell, who you saw for Tennessee as well. So what did you think about him? And what do you think about them potentially moving for Corbin Burns or some other sort of pitcher? Okay. Let's talk a little bit about the pitching right now. And I want to start with something and I almost stopped you real quick because I I did want to talk a little bit about uh, Justin Jarvis. I I did some research on him before I came on the show with people that are more knowledgeable about the minor leagues and about him than I am. Uh, So I'll take their word for it. And they had a side-by-side video with him and Chris Bassett. And I swear to God, he looks just like Chris Bassett. His, his, his windup, his delivery, everything looks just like Chris Bassett. So if that guy turns into Chris Bassett, shoot, I'm okay with that. I really liked Chris Bassett. Solid. Yeah, that's a major league starter. And you're right. He, he hasn't fared well in the AAA level, but at the AA level, he had the ninth highest strikeout rate while he was in AA. So dude can dude can cook it a little bit in terms of uh, pitching. He features a fastball, slider, splitter, and curveball. Again, he's only 23 years old, so he's got some time to mature and uh, to get himself into the big leagues. Uh, and it won't be this year 
but shoot, you know, you get a little experience in AAA, you go work in the offseason, you come back as a 24-year-old next year, you don't make it then, hey, you're older, you continue to work, and you make it as a 25-year-old, that I think would be really good. Now, when it comes to Corbin Burns, would love Corbin Burns, dude's 28 years old, kind of getting into his prime right there, so you lock him in for a couple of years, that might be your ace that you can kind of rely on to kind of head that rotation along with Kodai Sanga and hopefully some of these other young guys. And then you mentioned Blade Tidwell. And yeah, he was one of those guys for the Vols who was very electric. Now, he wasn't Chase Dolander or Chase Burns, that electric that we've seen over the last couple of years for the Vols, but he was a guy that, that had some electricity on his fastball, some good secondary pitches, and I assume he has continued to kind of develop those as he's gone through the minor league system. That might be somebody to kind of keep your eye on, especially with the Mets being so you know thin at starting pitcher. Maybe look for him as a September call-up or something like that to kind of get a cup of coffee, get his feet wet a little bit in the, in the major leagues. I know he's very young, very raw, but it might not be a, a bad thing because – you know, I, I had high expectations for David Peterson and Tyler McGill coming into this season as, hey, just be back end of the rotation pieces. All right, we got some good depth. We might not have to rely on them all that much. And when we had to lean on them, they crumbled. And and to me, that was a problem. I, I like the stuff of Tyler McGill. I think he's got a, a heavy fastball. He's got some good breaking stuff. He's got some good off-speed pitches. But he just, he just for whatever reason, didn't execute well this uh, this season, and it didn't work out. I do want to throw one more name at you that I've heard kind of bantied about that the Mets might try to make a play for. Uh, and this was reported in middle of July by Mike uh, Axis, Mike Axis of CBS, that apparently Billy Epler took a, a trip out to Japan and he wasn't yeah. just going for vacation to look at Yoshinabu Yamamoto, Yamamoto, as somebody as a starting pitcher out of Japanese or out of Japan. And, you know, maybe you grab him, you pair him with Kodai Sanga. They get a little, you know, something going on there. That might not be the worst idea if they can land him. I think that would be the best idea. I looked up his research on him and he's one, two of what their equivalent Cy Youngs are. Yep. So he has a better resume than Kodai Sanga. If Sanga's doing this good here, let's go get him. My only worry then is that you have two pitchers who – can only pitch once a week so you got to fill out the rest of the rotation but i would go get him and i think that would be great and i think why well, stop there let's keep getting all the great japanese talent and i wanted them to go get shohei otani but it's going to be a no hey otani for the mets because again epler said they're not spending money in the offseason so that means they're not getting shohei otani because he's going to want at least 50 million a year and I think and he wants to be with a program and a team that wants to win and win right now. He's tired of watching year. the postseason on, on television. He wants to win. And frankly, I don't understand why Mike Trout wasn't the same exact way. If I was Mike Trout, I would have been out of the out of Los Angeles years ago. Right. I've been saying for a while now to my friends and other people that if Otani leaves the Angels – I think they should maybe look to explore trading Mike Trout. Now, there's only like maybe three teams that can potentially take on that contract, and the Mets would be one of them. So I know he hasn't been healthy as of late, but it would still be a good boost. And you could probably get him for pennies on the dollar because if you're the Mets, you're taking on that whole contract. So maybe that's something to keep in mind that if Otani leaves to go anywhere, maybe Trout is on the move. But really, who's the Yankees could get him. The Giants, 
and the Mets. Maybe the maybe the Red Sox get involved, but that's a big deal right there. It's a big contract, but who knows? But Otani, he wasn't traded, and I think that was the right move because the Angels, they're over 500. That's a hard sell to the fan base, and you're making a play for the playoffs, and Mike Trout's coming back, so they're going to go for it. And they're trying to win. But like you said, Greg, Otani wants to win. He's been here for five years. He hasn't been in the playoffs. So what do the Mets have that's appealing to Otani to come to, to come to New York? We heard he doesn't like the East Coast anyway. So originally with Otani, if you remember, he could have waited like three more years in Japan to get into the post system to get an uncapped offer. But he just wanted to come here to compete. So everyone was in on him because he was getting the minimum. So he's all about winning, I think, and he wants to be on the West Coast. I think I think he's either going to stay with the Angels or go to the Dodgers. But if you were the Mets, like, what would your sales pitch pin to him be other than like, hey, here's a blank check? Like, what what could you offer the guy? Well, you could offer that, hey, we've got a couple of other Japanese-born players on the right. team. You know, hey, we get uh, Yamamoto and we've got Sanga, and so you know, you have some of your countrymen here with you, and that's. You know, maybe hire Ichiro to the staff. That might be that might entice him a little bit. I'm sure. I'm sure he's he's uh, he's idolized. Maybe uh, Ichiro could be the hitting coach because they need to switch the hitting coach. After there you go. There you go. He can he can coach hitting in the outfielders. Uh, so maybe a little base running as well. I, I think we could utilize that. But you could say to him, look, you know, we have an owner that is committed to winning. We have restocked the the cupboard in terms of the. Of the farm system we've got some really good young talent that is ready to blossom and come up and now at the major league level look we've committed to lindor who in his you know obviously he's been an all-star and he had a down year this year you're hoping he'll he'll kind of turn it around like he did last year like he was good last year uh you've got jeff mcneil who's one of the best hitters in the net in in all of major league baseball probably on this planet you've got a, a great dude leading off that'll get on base for you in terms of brandon nimmo and he can patrol center field and, you know, I, I'd like to rely on a guy like Pete Alonzo, but he could be that another, you know, middle of the order type of hitter, you know, that would be along with you, a guy who can potentially hit 50 plus home runs. And then, you know, we've got a really good young hitting catcher as well that we think would pair well with you in the middle of the lineup as protection. So to me, that would be the sales pitch. I honestly believe he's going to go to the Giants. I don't know why I believe this. It's just a gut feeling. It would make more sense if he wants to play for a bona fide winner to go to the Dodgers. But in my gut, it tells me he's going to be a San Francisco Giant. All right. I think he's going to definitely stay in on the West. I believe you never so, rule too. Out the, you never rule out the Padres. They were trying to get Verlander now. They, they offered Judge the most money last year. He turned him down. So they'll be in the mix as well. And it's going to be interesting to see if the Mets even make an offer because I thought going to last offseason, the Mets were going to go after Aaron Judge. They didn't even meet with him, which was very strange to me. But I think me reading between the lines, reading this Ken Rosenthal article and the quotes and listening to Max Scherzer in his press conference and the Mets saying it's all going to be about 2025, I think the Mets have decided that they're going to target Juan Soto after next offseason. And that's going to be their big type of we're back move. They're going to sign him to a big deal. And they're going to say, now we're ready. 2025, let's do this. Hopefully you got Alonzo locked in as well. You put Soto in there. And then by that time, you have to assume Acuna is going to be up and Gilbert's going to be up. And you're like, you know, let's do this. Where did it go? Do you think that that is something that Billy Epler pitched to Steve Cohen? It's 
certainly possible. Uh, I like Juan Soto a lot. He hasn't worked out in in San Diego. That whole situation, them and the Mets have been the biggest failures and biggest disappointments of this entire season. And uh, that could be that certainly could be a pitch. Now, obviously, there's as you've kind of been alluding to, there's there's only so many places for so many guys in terms of who's coming up. I think it's really going to determine or it's really going to it's really going to be who really steps up and, and who develops in terms of these younger guys. Yeah, there are some some, you know, teenagers in there that aren't going to you know factor in until way later. But there are some guys in there that could potentially play the outfield and you kind of have to see who develops and whatnot. And if you've got guys developing the way you want them to, then maybe you don't even need to trade for a guy like Juan Soto. Like, that's what I really think the Mets need to do. They need to take a page out of the Braves book as, as much as I hate that. But being here in Tennessee and being an hour and a half away from Atlanta and covering the Braves on a daily basis, I hate to say it, but Alex Anthopoulos has built this team, this Braves team up in a great way. He's been awesome in terms of, I know he wasn't here. I don't believe he was here when Acuna and Albie signed their, their, their deals, but they got locked up when they were younger to long-term deals, good amount of money for the time, but obviously they've outperformed those contracts. They did the same thing with Michael Harris last year, Spencer Strider. Uh, they, they trade for uh, Matt Olson, obviously after Freddie Freeman leaves, they got uh, Austin uh, Riley at third base who kind of came up and the, uh, Dansby Swanson, uh, Kyle, uh, Kyle Wrights. You've got Max Freed. Like they've got all of this homegrown talent and then they've just went out and said, okay, we're going to go and we're going to get a, a Matt Olson, who a little undervalued kind of getting lost in, in, in Oakland. Same thing with Sean Murphy. They go out there, they, they pick him out, and he's an all-star now. Matt Olson. How about, needs... how about Travis Darnell? Matt's, they cut Travis Darnell, yeah. They and... cut bait with him. They just lost faith in him, and now he's he was an all-star last year with the, yeah. with the Braves. And now he's, he's obviously a little bit older, but he keeps getting contracts because I think the Braves understand, like, hey, look, he hitter. is going to be the best backup catcher in Major League Baseball. And he's a guy who can DH. Now, if Marcelo Zuna didn't start turning it on, Travis Darno would be the full-time DH at this point. Maybe you'd switch him and, and Sean Murphy off. But, yeah, it's it's wild. What the, the Braves have done a great job, as much as I hate to say that on a Mets podcast. Brutal, brutal. <laughs> That's right, the life we live, though, right? As Mets fans, that is the life that we live. It's gotta believe. terrible. You always have to believe, but it's hard. They don't make it easy, Nick. No. Greg, you made it easy. You've been great as well. Let everybody know where they could hear you and find you and give us your last thoughts on the Mets moving forward. Here. Absolutely, man. I, I appreciate you having me on. I love this opportunity. I, I'm so happy that you're getting this opportunity to host and do this show. And I look forward to, to coming back, hopefully, if I wasn't Absolutely. too bad. But, uh, you know, if you want to check me out, I'm on Monday through Friday. And I know it's not generally where you're listening, probably in New York to this. But uh, you can listen to me noon to two Eastern Standard Time every single weekday, Monday through Friday on the word with G ESPN Or you can go download the ESPN Chattanooga mobile app. Again, listen there. The Twitter is right there, as you see on my on my name at Greg Larnard. Follow me there. Interact with me. I need more Mets fans in my life. I, I, it's, it stinks being away from Queens. I lived in Astoria for a year. I was right there. I've been a Mets fan since I was a little kid. I, I mean, I grew up in Shea and, uh, I miss it. It was a dump, but it was our dump. And I miss going to city field, the most beautiful place in the world. So I will say this, as you just alluded to Nick, you gotta believe you gotta believe if you're a New York Mets fan, 
Forget what Billy Epler said about not competing in 2024. We can't have that type of negativity in our minds. We have to think that we are going to compete every single year. Otherwise, what are we playing for? So I like the moves. It was what they needed to do with how this season has gone. But I'm not ready to give up on 2024. In my mind, I know fandom is a mental illness. But in my mind, as a Mets fan, I can't give up on 2024. I can't even give up on this season yet. I know it's over, but I can't. I was heartbroken. I was driving home from Knoxville yesterday, and I was listening to the Mets game, and I was just heartbroken by the balk off, as you famously called it. Just just classic Mets, I mean. They're going to continue to find ways to lose this season, but hopefully they can compete next year, like you said. If they get the other Japanese pitcher, maybe – Cohen changes his mind and he gets Blake Snell. The biggest acquisition they can make in the offseason would be David Stearns, president of baseball operations. And maybe things could turn around there with a new voice and stuff in there. But Greg, this has been great. Everybody, make sure you follow Believe in the Mets on all social media platforms and subscribe on YouTube. That's at B-L-E-A-V-I-N-T-H-E-M-E-T-S. I'm on Twitter at Nick underscore Durst. On Instagram at Nick's Food and Stuff. Everybody go check out Greg. And until next, everybody. Let's go Mets. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.